Hello, welcome to my recovery podcast. My name is Akeem, and I'm a grateful recovering addict. Um, it's been two weeks since I recorded, and I apologize to anybody who uh, is upset about that. Um, I've received a couple messages from a couple of my friends saying, hey, where's your next podcast? Which is nice to know that people are listening and that people care. But um, I had an interview with someone that fell through last week, and then I got jammed up with work and all sorts of other things. So I wasn't able to actually record last week. Now, um, I do have that interview coming up, and I have several interviews coming up with people who are in recovery and people who uh, I was in rehab with, who work at rehabs, and other such people, because this isn't just about me. This is about recovery. And part of recovery is about connection and making connection with others and not being alone. Uh, A lot of my time in active addiction was spent alone. I didn't do crime with other people. I didn't use with other people. Um, I just isolated myself. I didn't feel like I was wanted, nor did I want other people around me. Also, I was very greedy with my stuff. And if I had you around, that meant usually that I had to share. And as an addict, I am very self-centered. I am very, very selfish. Uh, It's a sad thing to say, but I don't want to share with you. Not what I've got, unless I know that I can get return on that. That's one of those uh, manipulations that happens um, in active addiction is everything becomes a manipulation. And the only time I do good things for you uh, usually is because I know that there is some return. Now, of course, all of your actions as in anything, in any walk of life, doesn't mean that everything has to be that way. But for the most part, it's a manipulation. Well, today's episode, I am going to talk about hope. Is there hope? Is there any hope for a hopeless addict? Well, I can tell you there is. Uh, No matter how dark it is, no matter what life throws at me, I know that there is hope. Now, um, to start with, I know that I've said that um, I am not affiliated with any fellowships out there, and I am not. Um, Anonymity is a spiritual foundation to all the traditions of the two fellowships that I've been around, and I will not break such. But, you know, I... I'm a big fan of comedies and TV and that sort of thing. A lot of times, anytime addiction is touched, like there was a Seinfeld episode um, where a guy was, where James Spader, as a matter of fact, was going through um, the steps for alcohol. And a lot of times people say, well, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. And that is true, but there's more to it. Um, admission of a problem without any work on it doesn't really help you. And if you don't have any sort of realizations um, with that admission, then you really haven't done anything. Like I realized I was addicted to opiates about 18 years ago, I would say. Um, Once my body said, hey, you need that just so you can feel okay today. I knew I was an addict. 
But as I said about that episode of Holy Sunday, what do you do with that information? Well, I put it in the bank and put it away and didn't do anything about it. So if just realization of uh, addiction um, was the key, then that's not really the case. When I realized that I was an addict, the second part that people people don't talk about is, um, and the first step is uh, that you are an addict or an alcoholic and that your life had become unmanageable. And the unmanageability part is where people fall down because I didn't want to admit how unmanageable my life was. I didn't want to admit uh, to myself that I could not control myself once I started using or drinking. And that's the key. When I use or I drink or I put anything in my body, I know that one, I don't know when I'm going to stop using or drinking. And two, that regardless of how hard I try, my life will spiral out of control. There's no question about that. And that is a rough understanding. It, it, I'm a man who thinks that I have a strong will, a very strong will. I am capable of feats of endurance. I am capable of understanding. I am capable of dealing with problems that I've seen people fall to pieces of. But what I'm not capable of is using successfully. I, I cannot do it. I've tried. I've done everything and I've beaten my head in to figure out how I can drink and drug and keep my life together. But the results are always the same. Jails, institutions, and death. As they say in meetings, oh my. But when I worked that first step, when I actually worked it, because here's the thing, um, going into recovery, and no matter what path you take, there's Dharma recovery, there's smart recovery, there are two big main fellowships, uh, AA and NA. Um, there are all sorts of recovery groups that can help you recover. Uh, I chose to use the two main fellowships because one, the, the proven track record. Two, there are a lot of meetings all over the place. Three, I don't have to be online, which some of the groups are online mostly. And I know myself, the addict that I am, that if I'm online, that I just don't pay attention like I would when I'm in the room. And there's the difference when you're in the presence of other people. But when I decided that I was going to try to actually get clean when I was in jail, I had to make some decisions. Yes, I knew I was an addict. Had my life become unmanageable? Well, that was readily apparent. But was I willing to accept that? And was I willing to accept that when I use, that I cannot know when I'm going to stop? But in that, in that moment, in that statement, that I realized that I'm an addict and that my life has become unmanageable, in that moment, there is a message of hope. Because if I can figure out a way not to use, then I can manage my life.
And it's simple. And it seems like, wow, don't use. That's not that big a deal. But when you go down to the depths of degradation that I have, and you've done the things that I've done, and when you have destroyed everything you can just so you can get another hit, another line, another bump, another whatever you want to call it, it's not so easy because that is my coping skill. That's how I deal with everyday life. That's how I deal with all the frustrations and also all the joy. Because when things are going great, I found this for me. When things are going great, it's even worse because I want to reward myself. I want to take the endorphins that are already pumping through my brain and I want to get them to the top, to the max. And in recovery, I've learned that I have to temper those things and I have to watch those things because that'll kill me. That'll get me right back to where I was when I get too high or too low. Because I want to either numb or I want to heighten. Sometimes people don't talk about that, but heightening the endorphin rush is why a lot of people turn to other forms like gambling and uh, sex addiction because it just heightens those endorphins that we were increasing in drug use. So a little sidebar, not only are you you try to clamp your life, but you try to make sure that your addictive personality doesn't affect the other parts of your life and doesn't come out in other ways because addiction is a cunning and baffling enemy of life. And it will come at you all sorts of ways. Scratch-offs, uh, women, or if you prefer men, just all over the place. And it's important that you know when it's coming at you and you recognize when you're chasing that endorphin rush because that'll lead you right back to the same place that you were to begin with but back to the main thrust and i apologize because i go off on tangents but the main thrust is is there hope now as i sit in my room in my recovery house and i look around and i have things and i have money in my pocket and i have a life and i have a relationship with my daughter and her mother and i have a relationship with my mother and uh my sister and i'm still working on my two brothers but that's a consequence of my own personal actions and as i go through my day and I don't use, and I don't feel the need to use. I don't have to use to deal with my issues. That is the miracle, the blessing that I've received from recovery. Now, when you join one of the fellowships, they tell you, one of the first things they tell you is that they are there to help you with your problems with addiction. All they can promise is a freedom from active addiction or active alcoholism. That's it. I can't stop you from getting hit by a car. I can't stop um, your mom catching cancer. I can't stop you from winning a million dollars on a lotto. But what I can help you do is recover and be free from active addiction. And that's the whole point. Uh, how do I recover? How do I find that hope? Because the room is full of hope. 
I remember the first time I ever um, went to a meeting, I was pretty sure nobody in there was actually sober. That's ridiculous. How does anybody get through the day and not use? That is the key. How do I not use? Well, uh, I went to rehab and I went to uh, a halfway house and I'm in a recovery house now. But that is not the basis of my recovery. Rehab will give you a foundation. Uh, Halfway house will help you uh, get transitioned back into life. And recovery house will give you a safe space to live without other people using. But that is not recovery. The first thing I'll say is I go to meetings. I go to meetings all the time. And... I used to see it as a chore, and a wise man said to me, you know, when you get, you go to a meeting, don't think of it as I have to go to a meeting, that I think of it as you get to go to a meeting, and that's true. Um, As much as I don't want to be a part of it, it is a necessary thing for me to go to meetings. Meetings remind me of where I was, because there are a lot of newcomers who are on the edge, who are on the edge, who are one second away from going out and grabbing a beer or hitting the dope man or doing whatever that they want to do, who their life is unmanageable and they can't see the other side and they can't make it through the next hour. And they go into the room and they hear that message of hope and they get that hope shot. (laughs) shout out to Mr. Kenny. Uh, And they remember why they started this journey. And I remember those days. I remember just being on the edge of my seat. I remember also being high in meetings. I remember not having the answer and not willing to work for a different way of life. But meetings will teach you and the people there will love you. No one's there to hurt you. No one's there to dig into your background and use it against you. I know there's so much mistrust in the way of life. Well, there's a lot of mistrust in America in general, Uh, just mistrust of everything. But there are good people out there. And what did I have to lose? You know, uh, everything I've done, I've (laughs) been arrested and done my time. Uh, there's nothing, well, there are a few things, but there's nothing really for me to worry about legally. There's nothing that I've done that people in that room haven't done. There's nothing I can share that's going to shock people. I've heard some things in rooms where it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I did that. Or I know people have done that, or I was on my way to doing that. Personally, the only thing I have never done is sold my body. I'm blessed that way. I never got to that point. But as they say in meetings, you just never got to that point yet. I don't know where it would have taken me. Thank the Lord I didn't have to do that, but I was blessed that way. But that doesn't mean that I look down on anybody who had to do that. I know what the streets are like. I know how rough it is out there. And I know how people exploit people. And I know how people get exploited. 
And I know the, the depths of where it gets to when all you want is one more hit and you don't care how you get it. That's a very dark place. But I wake up every day and I thank the Lord that I'm not in that place. And one of the ways I keep myself out of that place is I go to meetings. And sometimes they're boring. Sometimes they're long. Sometimes they seem interminable. Sometimes there are people in the rooms I don't like. Sometimes I know that you're talking bullshit over there. That doesn't mean that there isn't some basis of truth. That there aren't good people. There's hope in those rooms. The hope that I can live a better life. And when you meet a person who has 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and they're still in meetings, because they know, just like I know, that I only have today. But if I keep doing the things I did today, and I keep living my life in a different way, and I keep the principles that I've been taught in my mind and in my heart, then I can make it through today. I keep that in mind all the time. If I can just keep doing the next right thing and I don't use, no matter what, I don't use, I have a chance to make it through another day. And if that blessed day that I have a heart attack because of the things that I've done or whatever and I die and I die clean, then I was blessed. If I die clean, I'll be blessed. Because I could have died so many times dirty. So many times alone. So many times in dark bandos. I met, knew so many people who just, you know, one day they were there, the next day they were dead. A lot of people on this journey didn't make it. And there's a saying in NA that, you know, for some to live, a lot of people have to die. And it's a sad saying and it's, it's hurtful. And I've lost at least three people this year, but there's truth in it because they're a cautionary tale to remind you of why you don't use. And I don't, you know, it's not a judgment thing. I love those people dearly and I feel their loss every day. I can't reach out to Billy G who used to make me laugh and who did the wildest dance in rehab I've ever seen. I can't reach out to him and say, Hey Billy, what's up? I can't talk to Austin F and be like, Hey Austin, I'm going to put some extra sugar and some coffee for you. You know, Austin hated call, uh, sugar. Um, and that's a very sad thing to me. You know, uh, just, you know, I can't say to Danny B, hey, Dan, <laughs> the Giants are awesome. And your art is awesome. And you're as good a dude as I've ever met. I will never be able to look those gentlemen in the eye. And just tell them and thank them for the hope they gave me on this journey. But there is hope. Meetings are important. 
Meetings are important to gather with other people to understand how do you recover? How do I recover? Do you share the same feelings that I feel? Do you share the same understanding of where I've been? Not, uh, oh, well, because I drank, you know, a case of beer a day and you shot dope then we, we're not the same. The feelings are. The feelings. The hopelessness, the listlessness, the utter malaise. The life that's turned to shit. The loss of everything. All for one more. And a lot of people don't make it that far. A lot of people fall off before they get to that part. A lot of people don't ever want to Deal with the issues that make them do these things. And that's where the steps come in. Going to meetings without doing step work and without having a sponsor uh, is what the, they say in AA, they call it an, a dry drunk. A lot of times you're just fighting against that next drink, but you haven't dealt with the issues that caused you to drink in the first place. Without dealing with those issues, the happiness doesn't come. And I didn't get clean to be unhappy. They teach you that. Like, what's the point? What's the point of me being unhappy all the time? And just because I'm not using. My life is still unmanageable. I haven't dealt with the other stuff. There are things called character defects. What a character defect is, is those things, those parts of your personalities... That cause you to destroy your life, cause you to push other people away. My massive ego mixed with my <laughs> lack of self-regard is a push and pull that is a part of an addict's life. Just a massive ego. I don't think you have no idea how big my ego is, but my self-esteem is in the toilet I got to deal with that because that push and pull keep me sick secrets will keep me sick the things that I've done the way I've treated people the, the heartache and the pain that I feel deep inside that'll keep me sick that's a, a definite I don't want to tell anybody that, you know, when my father died, I was devastated. When my father moved to North Carolina, I didn't deal with those feelings. And I'm still processing them. And that happened 32 years ago. The abandonment issues. Going from my dad's house to my mom's house to Mill and Hershey. Those things are difficult to deal with. They're difficult for me to talk about now. I'm 42 years old. That happened when I was 13. And if I don't deal with those things, I'm going to just go back to where I was. That's it. There's no question. I got to deal with that stuff. How do I deal with that? Because at the end, that's where the pot of gold lies. That's the rainbow that you cross. You cross that rainbow bridge 
and you get to the pot of gold. And the pot of gold at the end is the peace inside yourself. The peace inside me. I deal with my shit. I work on my stuff and I try to help others. The steps are remarkably simple. They just take some work. As I've said before, I worked really hard at getting high. I worked. You would have no idea how hard I worked at getting high. It is ridiculous. When I say I was up 48 hours at least, I was up 48 hours at least. In my plastic bag belt and pants that were two, three, four, five sizes too big and clothes that were filthy. And I would do whatever it took to get high. Regardless how I smelled, how I looked, whether people wanted to be around me, anything to get high. Whether I was eating or not, eating wasn't important. Friendship wasn't important. Women weren't important. All that was important was getting high. That's it. And if I can tell anybody out there that they never have to use again, that's the hope. That they can be in peace with themselves inside. That is the hope. There is hope in this thing. When I get frustrated, I don't fly off the handle and have to run and get a drink. When I work long shifts and I'm tired, I don't have to get off and then go get high. When I go see my PO, I don't have to worry about going to jail today. When I go to pay my rent, I don't have to worry about trying to figure out what I'm going to tell my landlord so I can stay a little bit longer and still get high. I don't have to look at my daughter and try to figure out how I'm going to feed her or buy her clothes or make sure she can go to whatever school function that they have. I don't have to do any of that and worry about it because my life is manageable because I have money in my pocket because I have a place to live because I have the hope that life will get better. Well, that was today's episode. Uh, Hopefully that was helpful. (laughs) And I'm going to uh, do Jolene's Corner now. Now, my friend Jolene is one of those few people who still who listen faithfully. And she got on me about not dropping an episode. And um, it's important. One of the things that I've learned in recovery is showing up is important. People need you to be where you're supposed to be, to be accountable, to be able to count on you when they need you. Because I wasn't accountable. I wasn't a person that you can go, well, yeah, Akeem's going to show up. Unless you had something for me, I was going to be late or I wasn't going to come. Just like the dope man. If the dope man tell you to be on the corner uh, and he'll be there in 10 minutes, you're definitely going to wait at least a half hour. You're going to wait at least a half hour to an hour, depending on how bad you need it. And that's the way it is. And I apologize for not being on time for not uh, having my podcasts when they're supposed to be. 
That's a feeling of mine, and I will work on it. Because the important thing is not me. Is that if anybody here out there hears this podcast or listens and finds a little bit of hope for their life, can find a little bit of courage to take that next step, to go to rehab, to try to get their life together, then I've done more than I could ever hope for. Recovery is possible. It is possible to do this thing. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And I thank you, Jolene, for reminding me that I need to be responsible and to do the things that I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do that. And I apologize to anybody else out there who listens who did not get an episode last week. I'll be dropping two this week. And that's important to me to make sure I stay on schedule. Now, um, before I go, I'd like to say one thing on mental health. My sister lost her father recently, and she posted that she wasn't okay. And in that moment, I thought we have grown as a society where we can tell other people that we're not okay. If you're not okay, please reach out to somebody. Please let everybody know that you're not okay. It's okay not to be okay. Please be kind to yourself and know that there are people out there that love you. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was my recovery podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends. Please give me a five-star rating if you can on the apps that you listen to this. I'm trying to grow the audience. I'm going to put up a Facebook page now. And if you have any questions or any concerns, please email me at myrecoverypod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and you have a great day.